Welcome back to Biblical Book Review. I'm Kevin. I'm Alec. And I'm George. We are so happy you are joining us for today's study. Last week we covered chapter 14, part 3, Discourse on Humility, Forgiving Injuries. This week we're moving into part 4 of chapter 14. What does part 4 have to offer, George? Jesus is expected to live as all Jews are expected to live. And there's certain festivals, feasts, there's certain sacrifices, all the different things that Jews were required to do. Jesus is required as well because he's a Jew. And one of those requirements is the temple tax. And whenever you say the word tax, uh, you feel so patriotic. It's, it's such a relief to be able to, to give money to these deserving governments, isn't it? Doesn't it make you feel good? <laughs> and it's interesting that Jesus is going to teach about this with a miracle uh, and it involves uh, some of our favorite, uh, one of our favorite pastimes, uh, actual fishing. And so we're going to talk about the temple tax and how Jesus paid that particular tax uh, in this particular year. I think you need to separate your sarcasms there. <laughs> it sounded like you, I mean, obviously the sarcasm was heavy on the tax part, but it didn't really remove itself from the fishing part. We actually do enjoy fishing. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. We do not enjoy paying tax. <laughs> and then I don't know if we'll, we'll get into this here, but uh, do you know the history, uh, Dad, of the, the temple tax here? Uh, is it found in the Old Testament, or is this something that was added after the fact uh, later as tradition uh, goes, or was this something that uh, was actually a part of the law to begin with? I didn't find it in the law, and, and so during their captivity, during uh, that 400 years of silence, there was a lot of things that uh, were added and kind of became tradition. And so I believe that's one of them. And of course, it's one of those things where it's like the temple does need to be kept up. And so it does require funds. And so there was uh, way back with uh, when Moses, uh, you know, collected all the gold and silver from, you know, Egypt. And then uh, they they brought it up to the, you know, the Mount of Sinai. And then they they entered the, the promised land. Uh, they did collect, uh, you know, all that as a free will offering to build that first temple when it became permanent. And so there is there is some you know uh, precedent set there in the old in the old law. But as far as being a requirement, uh, I believe it was one of those things that was added uh, during that time between. Malachi uh, in that 400-year period uh, before the Lord. Yeah, this is one of those stories that I've, you know, A.B. Bruce puts it down to like three categories, people who just like glaze right over it as they're reading their Bible, people that go, huh, that's weird, and then continue to read their Bible, and then those who actually can like break it down. I've never really paid attention to this one. It's just kind of been one of those ones like, huh. That's weird. That'd be cool to catch a fish with a coin in its mouth, and then I just move on. That's it. I've never really spent much time or much thought in this one in breaking it down through this chapter. Yeah, this this uh, this chapter, Matthew chapter seventeen. We I go to this chapter to look at the transfiguration. <laughs> this is what this chapter is about. It's not this little throwaway here at the at the end of the chapter. These four verses here about this miracle and 
the strangeness of it. And uh, I like the way that A.B. Bruce kind of breaks it down and we, we dive into the actual the meat of, of why Matthew would have recorded this because Matthew is the only one that records uh, this event. And I find it interesting. And the, the tax collector records something about taxes. Uh, he knew he knew what he was doing, and there's 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 something for us here, and something we can glean from this as well. But uh, like you're saying, Kevin, this is really kind of the first time that I've really kind of delved into it. It's been just one of those I've read through it. I say, like, huh, interesting, and then move on to the next chapter. <laughs> let me uh, let me make a correction uh, from that original question as far as being part of the old law. I did look uh, in that margin, and it does refer back to Exodus chapter 30 uh, and verse uh, 14 or so. Everyone who is numbered from 20 years old and over will give a contribution to the Lord. The rich shall not pay more. The poor shall not pay less than half shekel when they give the contribution to the Lord to make atonement for themselves. Uh, And so there was a requirement in the law from uh, the book of Exodus chapter 30 uh, that speaks to this temple tax. And whether it was used for the temple or not, uh, it's not exactly delineated there in Exodus, but that's what it it became used for. Yeah, so they had precedent for this type of... um payment uh, from the people. And, you know, from Old Testament law, the uh, the Levites did not have land uh, out of, of themselves. They were not part of the tribes that were given land. They were given other responsibilities, and they were to be taken care of by the uh, rest of the tribes there. Uh, and so this is, this is kind of par for the course on how they would have actually done that uh, from a monetary standpoint. Yeah, but that's from the people. Not from the sun, and that's the point of the yeah, and that's, <laughs> that's and that's yeah, the point right. of the that's parable. The but I'm just yeah, yeah it's I know, and I'm not I'm not <laughs> correcting you. I know you know that, but it's just that's what boggles my mind on this is the precedent for the people. It's like they don't know who he is. And so, as Kevin was mentioning, a lot of a lot of readers of the scripture as we go through, we sort of just kind of glance over this and think it's novel and move on. But the way A.B. Bruce does describe this and breaks it down he says it's like breaking the shell of the story and so there's something within that's beautiful and a teaching lesson of course jesus is uh being reminded of you know the the mindset of his disciples as they argue over who's the greatest and they've just returned from the mount of transfiguration where god has stamped his approval verbally on Jesus, and this is my beloved son, listen to him. And so all of this is going through the mind of Jesus, and he's listening to his disciples, and they're really not, they're not getting it. And so he has to use a, 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 you know, a miracle here to teach, and it's more of an illustration of a sermon, uh, and he needs them to understand just what it is about this temple tax that can be a teaching moment. And so that's what Jesus is going to use uh, and try to you know, steer the disciples' minds away from uh, their, you know, their fleshly desires of being pre- uh, preeminent there in the kingdom and make them realize that it's, it's a part of being humble and doing it voluntarily. And so Jesus is going to show just his in- incredible humility uh, with this payment of this uh, temple tax. 
Um, is this the only time we have recorded that Jesus used a miracle for himself, so to speak? Uh, yes, this is, uh, uh, it kind of proves the rule where, you know, imagine you're, you're omniscient, you're all-powerful, you're all-knowing, you know the beginning to the end, and you've written it all. I mean, it, and that's our Savior, and he's walking on earth as man. He could have done anything at any time for his own benefit and for the benefit of his uh, closest followers. He could have, uh, you know, put them up in, the, in a beautiful mansion, in a beautiful place, and had servants and had... But Jesus continues uh, to say, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. And so Jesus is setting that example uh, throughout his entire ministry, and this is just one place where he does use this supernatural power where he, he controls all of the universe and the, the fish in the stream. I mean, in any pond, any, any animal, any, anything, he has power over all of that. And so this is the one time where he uh, uses that power, but it's for a moment of teaching. And that's what Jesus wants to use this for to real and make the disciples realize that it's not about uh, your power, not about your prestige, not about your position. It's about your humility and willingness to serve. Yeah, and I um, kind of a separate story on that same uh, vein. There, uh, Heather and I started watching The Chosen, <laughs> a really great uh, uh, series. Uh, following Jesus. Don't, Don't ruin it. I haven't started it yet. You two keep talking about it. You, you've read the book. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but anyway, uh, like one of the scenes in there, Jesus is out in the wilderness uh, alone, uh, and he, he makes a fire. And the way that he does it is he rubs two sticks together and makes this fire, and, and it shows this whole thing. And I, I was thinking there watching it, and I was going, this man created the sun <laughs> and he's out in the wilderness rubbing two sticks together the humility of jesus is on full display just in his willingness to come to earth and be a human being and go through the the same things that we have to go through here and pay the taxes and do the things and and all these different things and and one of the one of the scenes also again he he injures himself uh, with a tool, and he just he bandages him, he bandages himself. And uh, Heather, you know, kind of made a comment, and she said, "Well, why didn't he just heal himself?" And it's like, that's he's not here to utilize his powers for his own benefit. He's here to humble himself and put his display on for the glory of God. Uh, and it's not for his own benefit. And the same with this uh, tribute, uh, this tax uh, for the temple here. Uh, it's it's interesting that he used it here as an illustration uh, for his humility uh, and how we can understand really the the power level of Jesus and how much of of humility of of him is on display for just him being here on Earth. Uh, it's incredible. Yeah, and the the omniscience is the part that my mind goes to, like knowing that I don't believe in my mind that he created a coin in a fish's mouth. I think he saw someone flip that coin and he knew that person that put the coin that flipped it in or lost it into the ocean or the sea or wherever they were. And then the fish that got it and knew where that fish was going to be. So Peter could catch it. It's like 
all these little things, the spider web together, would just blow your mind. But yet he knew all of that and he knew exactly where to tell Peter to go. And so this miracle and really the, it should just remind you immediately of that passage in Philippians chapter two, where Paul writes to the saints there in, uh, he says, have this attitude, which was also in Christ Jesus, who's existing in the form of God. He didn't regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and became uh, in the form of a bondservant being made in the likeness of men found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And of course, the, the goal of his entire ministry is to give us this example. And in this particular case, he's going to teach how uh, his humiliation, his willingness to be voluntarily humble uh, is going to be displayed. And so we can learn from that. He didn't regard equality with God a thing to be held onto. He emptied himself. And we get to see that on display here. Yeah, and as we went through all the, the sections of this chapter, we started with, you know, as a child. That's the standard of humility, someone who's in submission, someone who is, you know, humble. You look at your children, and children are humble. And then we go to that relationships we need to have in church discipline, and also the humility and forgiving. Like when I make a mistake with my children, they immediately forgive me without even having any grudges. Like, I'm sorry about that. Oh, no problem, Dad. And then we just move on. It all goes back to the the child aspect, and we go to this now, the temple tax. And instead of a human, you know, adult, that would be like, I shouldn't have to pay this. I'm the son of, you know, God, who, you know, as he goes through this, he takes it like a child in humility, like, okay, here it is, you know. And that's the example for us, that we need to be like children. That's the whole point of this whole chapter, I think. Yeah, and I like the way that uh, A.B. Bruce kind of breaks this down here. Uh, there on page uh, 223, says, Breaking the shell of the story, we discover within, as its kernel, a most pathetic ex- exhibition of the humiliation and self-humiliation of the Son of Man, who appears exposed to the indignity of being dunned for temple dues and so oppressed with poverty that he cannot pay the sum demanded, though its amount is only 15 pence. Yet neither pleading poverty nor insisting on exemption on the score of privilege, but quietly meeting the claims of the collectors in a manner which, if sufficiently strange, as we admit, was at all events singularly meek and peaceable. And really, when we, when we break down and define the word meek, it's not equivalent to weak. It's that image of the uh, the black stallion that has been uh, broken for a saddle to be ridden, the horse isn't any weaker. It's just now you're able to control the horse. And so here Jesus is this perfect example of meekness. And when he preaches that sermon there uh, on the mount uh, earlier in his uh, ministry, you know, the meek will inherit the earth. It's like this. This is the perfect example of meekness. Here is the creator of the universe, and he says, I know I'm going to pay this tax, and I'm, I'm good for it, and I, I, I'm going to take care of it. And it's his voluntary uh, position as far as 
taking the action and he says, I'm going to do this because it's required. And even though I'm the son of God, I'm still going to take care of it. George, would you say that you can't be meek unless you have the um, strength to control or the power to control? So if you are not at the point of having that, let's say, strength and then controlling your strength, then you can't be meek unless you have it in the, to begin with? I believe that's correct. And the idea that as far as, you know, in the fruit of the Spirit there in Galatians uh, chapter 5, where, where Paul writes to those saints, the last one in the list is self-control. And it's like, okay. So God's given us certain talents. God's given us certain strengths. And he says, I want you to I want you to work on those. I want you to build those up. I want you to have a stronger faith. And so as as those things become part of our existence, then the key is that idea of self-control. And so that's the idea of meekness, having that control of whatever talent, whatever uh, faith you have, whatever power that has been given to you, it's up to you then to, to have that ability to control yourself. And God's never asked us to do something we can't do. I've heard excuses. Well, I'm, I'm just a man. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just a, a person. I make mistakes and, you know, and we make these justifications, but God says, no, you have that ability. And so no wonder Jesus would say the meek shall inherit the earth. I mean, that's, that's exactly what God wants us to see. Yet again, another example of someone who had superpowers, yet their greatest attributes and the ones that we should copy are things that we can, meekness, compassion, and yet we always say, oh, I can't do that because Jesus is perfect. Well, we have to try. <laughs> we have to try to copy those attributes. And as A.B. Bruce kind of describes and goes into this uh, discussion, we can look back at Matthew chapter 17. They'd come out of Capernaum, and those who collected the tax came to Peter and says, does your teacher not pay the drachma tax? Doesn't he pay it? And Peter says, well, yes, of course, every year that I've been with him, he's paid it. I mean, that's kind of the implication here in verse 25. Yes, he's, he pays it. And Jesus speaks to him and he says, what do you think, Simon, from whom do the kings of earth collect customs or poll tax from their own sons or from, from strangers? And upon his saying from strangers, Jesus said to him, consequently, the sons are exempt, but let, let's give them, uh, but lest we give them offense, go to the sea and throw in a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a stater, take that and give it to them for you and me. And so there's, there's the text, there's the context of, of what Jesus is, is performing here and drawing on his omniscience. And as Kevin mentioned you know, somebody lost this coin, somehow it ended up in, in the sea or in the lake or in the stream, a fish sees it and somehow swallows it. And then Peter is given the, you know, the net or the fishing pole or whatever it is. And all of these things fit together. And it's like, yep, this is going to do what is required of me. And obviously Jesus could have said, I'm not paying it. This, this whole place is going down in, in, in fire and ruins, and the people that actually run this place are complete buffoons, and they, they don't even understand God's will. Of course, I'm not going to pay a drachma tax. I'm, not, I'm the son of God. <laughs> he, 
He could have said all that, but because of his willingness, voluntarily, he said, I'm paying it. Yeah, and A.B. Bruce kind of says it like this. He says, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience. Though he were a son, yet came he not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Though he were a son, yet he became subject to the law, not merely the moral, but the ceremonial, and was circumcised. And he took part of the temple worship and frequented the sacred feasts and offered sacrifices, though these were only all shadows of the good things whereof he himself was the substance. Uh, I just... I just imagine Jesus looking at all of these shadow things from the Old Testament that he came to fulfill the law, and he's looking at all of those things in the Old Testament that literally point to the Messiah, he himself. All of those things point to him, and yet he is still partaking of those things and looking forward to his kingdom that he is establishing, uh, the church, into the future, and he's still abiding by the rules of the law because he kept the law. He kept the law perfectly, and he was the only one that was ever able to do so. And this temple tax was, as we found out <laughs> today, uh, it was part of the law. This was part of the law, and he he humbled himself to the point where he kept it. And like we've been talking about, this idea of he's God, he could have easily said, I'm above this. My station I don't need to do any of this nonsense that we are doing because I'm establishing something new and better, and yet he still humbled himself to the point where Paul says, death on a cross. He came to do these things to fulfill all aspects of the law, even the temple tax, (laughs) even these things that we go through and go, this is just ridiculous. Why would God have to do this? Well, that was his purpose, and he fulfilled his purpose, uh, in, in obedience to God. And so we've kind of looked at this and discussed this quite a bit, but the first lesson in this particular uh, illustration, this, this one outstanding miracle, is the idea of humiliation. King's son, the son of God, I'm going to pay it. And the second, and he even mentions this in, the, uh, in his reasoning, he says, lest we give them offense. And so rather than being offensive, Jesus says, we're going to do this. We want everyone to see us do this. And this is because we don't want to offend those that are in charge, those that are actually part of the temple. And as Alec mentioned earlier, there's, there's priests, there's Levites, and these guys rely on, on our generosity and, and those taxes that are collected just for that purpose. And so when Jesus makes this kind of a two-point sermon, he says, first of all, humble. Second, because we're not going to give offense. And this is the mark of his meekness. And maybe another word would be this idea of lowliness and his, his love for mankind. And so here, uh, Jesus gives us this perfect example. And then we sort of fast forward to the 21st century. And it's like, okay, who are we? Well, we're, we're children of God. (laughs) And why doesn't the, why doesn't the world recognize us as, as being important? Why aren't we uh, the most popular? Why aren't we the ones that 
are, are holding all the power and the rank and the privilege. We're, the, we're children of the Most High God. <laughs> well, they didn't recognize Jesus either. And so just because we have that promise, just because we are children of God, just because we are at the very, in the very heart and mind of our, of our Creator, we have to learn this idea of voluntary humiliation. I do believe, though, that this, this may be harder for us to accept in America, right? We do have a lot of exemptions for faith, you can say, and they, they do have an umbrella that covers a lot of different things, but you can say, well, we are a religious organization and you get exemptions, or you can say, I am a religious person and you can be exempt from certain things medically along those lines. There's a bunch of different things that we claim exemption for being a religious person, and that almost defeats the purpose. Not that I'm mad about that, but it allows us to say, well, I'm special, I'm different because I am a son of God, instead of saying, well, I'm going to go ahead and pay those ridiculous taxes and not be exempt because I am a part of this land, and these are the leaders that God put in charge of this land, and I will lower myself to that humility, and he'll take care of it. We say, no, I'm exempt. And we almost have that attitude of, well, I am better. And it's harder, I think, for us in America because we are not under the same persecutions. Yeah, and A.B. Bruce kind of uh, sums this up, and he says, the lowly one, speaking of Jesus, did not assume this attitude but gave what was asked without complaint, grudging or railing. And he, his conduct conveys a lesson for Christians in all ages— and in our own age particular, it teaches the children of the kingdom not to murmur because the world does not recognize their status or their dignity. The world knew not when he came, even God's eternal son. What wonder if it recognizes not his younger brethren? <laughs> this idea of we want our status to be recognized. We want to be seated at the, the head of the table. We want to be the ones that are looked upon by men and say, wow, those people are very religious. I want to be, you know, that kind of status. And when we look at the example of Jesus, that's not the way they they, they viewed him. They didn't recognize him as the Messiah. So how are they going to recognize, you know, you? But I mean, it's your, your humility, your humbleness has to be there. But obviously we are set apart. We're different from the world. There's all these aspects that uh, kind of, come together at this one uh, moment, but if we are doing what we are doing for to be seen by men, what does Jesus say about that? Then you have received your reward in full. Uh, but if we are doing what we do in our Christian walk to serve God and be humble about it, then Jesus says, I prepared a place for you. There's this, this aspect of our Christian walk that is is seen by men, but if that's why we are doing it, <laughs> then we're missing the point. Uh, we need to be focused on serving God first, uh, and then the things that happen around us are going to happen regardless. Uh, but uh, like I said, uh, just focus on that aspect and not your status. Yeah, because I'll be honest, I'll tattle on myself. I don't mind giving offense for my Christianity to people. Like It almost gives me a sense of pride, I guess, which is wrong. To say, you know, I have a run-in or a conflict with people. I don't have a problem offending them because of my 
Christianity. And that's not that I'm not going to offend them because I'm going to stand up for the truth, but I shouldn't take pride in that or have the sense of I'm doing the right thing in that. And I need to be more humble, more meek. And as Christians, uh, we have uh, songs in our hymn book, and it talks about the idea of being uh, wayfaring strangers, and we're, we're really on a journey, and we're really not uh, citizens here, but we're citizens there. And we have to have that mentality. And Jesus says, uh, even though you are uh, sons of the living God, even though you have that, that prestige in heaven, for now, you're just strangers in a world that looks at you and says, we didn't even accept Jesus. And so don't be surprised when they don't accept you. <laughs> and, as, you know, when, when you are offensive to them, when people take offense because of your Christianity, uh, don't be surprised. And sometimes, uh, like it was in the first century and like it was with our Lord, uh, it'll, it'll be deadly. Sometimes it'll be painful and it's like yeah just kind of just be forewarned because it happened to him it will happen to us and i believe the uh paul writes to timothy and he says if if you are a christian since you are a christian you're going to be persecuted i mean there's no ifs about it you will be persecuted i mean that's just the way it's going to be so don't be surprised because this is just uh, a, a, a momentary affliction. We're just passing through, and there's going to be some who take offense, and it's, it, sometimes they're going to be very, very offended, and they're going to come after us, and don't be surprised because they came after him as well. Yeah, and the example that we have here with this uh, this miracle that Jesus performs with the fish and the, and the coin, if if at all possible, try not to be that offense <laughs> try not to be that one that sticks out that's going to be the the head of the nail that the hammer's going to hit uh, and if you can if it's not uh, uh detrimental to your faith or not against the the laws of god then just be obedient uh and it's the same thing when uh jesus talks about uh taxes to caesar uh later or or other other places in the scripture where he grabs the coin and whose likeness is on the coin well Caesar, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. This idea of we live in a society and we are responsible to be a part of that society. Uh, and if at all possible, don't live offensive to the society. Uh, but obviously, if they cause you to go against the will of God, that's where we have to take a stand and say, "Where well, I'm going to stay with God as opposed to not. Uh, but if you can live at peace and at harmony with society and have the love and the lowliness and the sincere compassion towards those that are lost uh, and not be this uh, confrontational and not be this looking for arguments and looking for things to fight about or trying to uplift your status. And you know, you, do you know who I am? I, and like Jesus could have said, do you know who I am? I'm, I'm the son of God. I don't need to pay your stupid tax. Uh, but that's not Jesus' example that he gave us. He said, I'm going to pay the tax because I'll pay the tax. There's nothing that's stopping me from doing so, uh, and I will adhere to the laws of the land that I live in. Yeah, my my boys like watching these different shows, and there's one like ancient whatever aliens. They're watching this, how like 
there's proof of alien, and they never find anything. It's just one of those, probably because we keep them to PBS and like History Channel. That's all <laughs> I like to watch. So they want to watch these shows. But my son asked me, he's like, do you believe in aliens? I'm like, you know, answer right away, no. But now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, we are aliens. We are aliens to this world. And like Alec was just saying, we're going to try to go through without having that offense. And if we do have to have it, and I, I already tattled on myself, it's having it without having, you know, having that meekness to where I'm not proud that I'm offending. I'm not happy that I'm, you know, showing how Christian I am. That's the wrong attitude. That's the wrong heart to have. And as uh, leaders in the church, and as we learn to be uh leaders that Jesus has called us to be as as the men of the congregations that we're a part of it's like this can be our our goal and imagine how unified the body of Christ could be if we all had the same attitude if we all said we're not going to uh, we're not going to give offense and i've i've lived long enough to see how easily uh, members of the body can be offended by such such small trifle matters. It's like seriously, I mean, really, you're gonna get you're gonna get offended by that. And, and then there's these splits and there's these conflicts, and it's like, oh, of all the individuals in the world, because our citizenship is in heaven, because we are sons of the living God, we should be the most unified uh, group of people that's ever existed. And because we're people, because we're human in nature, we make mistakes. And so God says, I, I know and I see it, but I want you to strive for this ideal. Be humble in spirit. And if at all possible, and I, it's a quotation from the scripture, uh, if, it, if at all possible, be at peace with all men. Make that your goal. And then the Lord will be pleased with our activities and with our attempts. We leave you with these questions. What do you understand humility to be? Are you willing to live a life of voluntary humiliation? And what does this mean for you personally? How can you live your life so that you try to avoid giving offense to others? What can and will you do to bring unity and peace in the body of Christ? Thank you so much for joining us for this week's study. Thank you.